I know we've talked about being focused on one asset class. There's no harm diversifying in the beginning to explore. Then you realize that ah, this is not my cup of tea, and that was the mistake I made. I, mm. I I went I went unit trust. I went properties. Then I went into stocks, thinking I could get quick money, and I got burned really nicely. Then I realized, okay, time to go on a diet, which was the next phase. Mm. <laughs> time to go on a diet, mm. and then time to know uh, also realization that my gosh, if you don't focus, yeah, you're everywhere. You're everywhere. Mm. You are like literally the jack of all trades, but the master of none. And I wasn't really. Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www.com firl.co slash f-r-e-e or www.firo.co slash free. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Firo podcast. Um, now, today we will be talking about the phases that pretty much every investor goes through mm-hmm. uh, step by step and really what, what you experience, some of the obstacles you have and what are some of the, how, how, how do you overcome those obstacles? Right. Right. And everyone goes through this phase. Each of us manage it in different ways. That's right. But uh, if you're listening and you just started out or you've not even started, then I think this podcast is perfect for you. And no, actually it's perfect for everyone, right? Yeah. Because everyone is in a particular phase uh, of their investing life. Some, somewhere, somehow one phase will relate somehow rather to you. Absolutely. Right. And uh, we're going to show you you know, partially our story of how we overcame these these um, obstacles, how we moved on from these phases. And, you know, hopefully you can get a few tips and tricks to do it faster than us, Yeah. right? So um, I think when it comes to the first phase of every investor is the motivation, mm. right? The motivation to start, mm. right? So... Before I go into my motivation, what was yours? I think uh, growing up in a family where uh, I had classmates that had more wealthier parents mm-hmm. was probably one of the one of the earlier motivations. Right. Uh, but I think the second motivation was that when I started uh, when when I got married mm-hmm. and I started uh, having children. I think that was an even bigger motivation for me. So let's start with the first one, right? Mm. Like, so when you see other uh, parents, uh, sorry, your, your neighbors, right? Yeah, Getting my, peer, my, my classmates actually. Your classmate, right? Because you went to a school that was very elite. Yeah. But maybe the background you came from, uh, the, the the matching wasn't quite there, right? Correct, in, correct. In terms of, uh, and, and probably because your dad was the like a teacher. Yeah. And so he had the connection. So he managed to get you inside. And so walk me through, like, why is it, why was that motivating? Like, like it's, is, is it because uh, you want their lifestyle or you know, is it something else? It was probably, okay, part of it probably was wanting their lifestyle. Part of it was probably also 
curious. I've always had this curious mindset ever since mm-hmm. I was young. Mm-hmm. And it was like uh, a lot of questions always pop up. It's like uh, I had I had this uh, this friend. Um, too bad we've not really kept in touch. He's actually uh, Indonesian by birth. Uh, no, okay. he's actually born in Malaysia, but to Indonesian father was Indonesian, mother was a Malaysian. And uh, every year, because the, the parents were not around, he, the parents were in Jakarta, and he, he stayed with his grandfather in Kuching. And, okay. Uh, but every year, at the end of the year, the father will actually bring them to the States for holiday. So every Ooh, year, they, okay. yeah, every year they will come back, he will come back with gifts. And I, I knew them quite well in school because we were both in the Scouts. Uh, his elder brother was also in the Scouts. But I kept on trying to find out what was the connection or, or how who, they as a family could afford that kind of lifestyle okay. and implored why my family couldn't have it. You know, my parents couldn't have it. And I think that was uh, <clears throat> more out of like the desire to want that kind of lifestyle right? and the desire to have options. And then the second, the second phase in that when he was in school was that um, I was not left with many options when I finished my okay. SPM. Mm. All my friends were like, you know, the day you finish the last paper and then tomorrow you're into Concord College in, in, in Imperial. Right, or right. They were like going everywhere. But everywhere. you had to do local, right? Yeah, so yeah, that gap, yeah, yeah. There was the gap and I was like, eh, you know, why, why, why am I limiting? Why, why am I limited with this kind of choice? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, these people, they, they're not any smarter. They're yeah. not any like better than you. Maybe some of them maybe are, but you know, the, the, the gap in terms of, you know, merit, it's yes. not that much bigger, and yet they get to travel very far. They get to have holidays every every year, yeah, or, or more often, not not just once a year. But you felt that um, like you didn't quite understand why there was such a gap. That's and, right. And one of the things I I realized about uh, because your story in in this sense is not uncommon, mm. and one thing that I hear a lot is actually this idea. That, that they have certain assumptions about money. That's right. right. When you're at the level of when you see rich people, like mm. when you mix around rich people, but you're not. Yeah. So did you have to like sidestep or overcome that in order for you to then say, okay, now I think I I give myself the right to be rich or something like that? <laughs> I think not so much the right to be rich, but I think, that, that book that I've mentioned in earlier podcasts and some yeah. of the earlier videos about Rich Dad Poor Dad was yeah. really that, that eye-opening thing about understanding a relationship with money mm, okay. and understanding uh, how, how wealth is not in direct correlation to just like uh, go to school, study hard, get a good job and all that. You know, right, that, right. That, that, that equation was, I think, what the first piece to... To, to understanding all that. Mm. Yeah. And and only then then I felt that, hey, it's not evil mm. to want to be rich. <laughs> How come it's not evil? I thought money is the role for evil, John. <laughs> money is just an amplifier. Right. Okay. Yeah. And if you're an asshole and you have money, so it's asshole multiplied by the wealth. Squat. Yeah. yeah. It's squat. But if you're if you're a kind hearted person and it, 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 money is just a utility or a multiplier or whatever you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that was something of a realization for me too, because I used to 
quite sad and quite naive that I used to think that all people were uh, uh, all rich people were unscrupulous. Yeah, they had to be like scrooge ducks, uh, scrooge ducks, yeah. and they, they had to scam in order to be to right. be wealthy. And yeah, there, there was a fear that I had to overcome, and and then only then I could say, oh, I deserve to be rich if I yeah. knew how if if I know the rules of the game, and if I improve myself, that that was it. What so so yeah, before yeah. that, before before yeah. my story, right? Yeah. Um. So then you also mentioned like your your kids right? ah. that was like a big one yeah. uh, is it because of today we have like a very hefty education bill when we send out you know if you have kids you know education is definitely top of mind yeah uh not just like university i mean like from preschool preschool or you know what the americans say k to 12 right yeah. so it's k kindergarten 12 is grade 12 or yeah. in Malaysia's case mm. uh, from five yeah. or uh, what you call it, the O-levels. O-levels, O-levels, yeah. O-levels, yeah. O-levels, yeah. So is, is, is that the big reason or there like other? Um, that, that is one. But the other thing is that um, the benefit I had was that I came from a family of teachers mm. and I know the amount of dedication and love and passion for you to be a good teacher. I mean, I've seen that in my parents and my, my sister what I felt was a disconnect in between, um, ironically, where the education system in Malaysia is headed right now and the kind of quality of teachers that, not, not, it's not to say they're not smart or anything, but the love they have for their profession. Right, right. And I was very, 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 very beneficial uh, because I benefited from going to one of the top schools in Sarawak mm-hmm, at that mm-hmm. time. <clears throat> it was a LaSalle school. Discipline was through the roof, all boys school. Um, and I benefited a lot in my, mm-hmm. my childhood days. And I, I knew that that formation of character was important for my children. And But the sad reality is that you cannot let things to chance today. And I think that's a big, mm. a very big worry for a lot of parents today. Yeah, yeah. You cannot leave it to chance because so happen that if you send your school, uh, your kids to a school that may not have this kind of environment. Yeah, yeah then you know that your kids are already at a disadvantage because you knew what it took. You need some molding. Uh, That's right. That's right. Yeah, and, and then, you know, you raise a good point because, uh, <coughs> you know, if if, you, if you're someone who believes that you can leave uh, things to chance, especially when it comes to your children, Yeah. okay, then my question to you is, uh, how many times have you asked them to say thank you? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Right? If, <laughs> you right. Leave, if you want to leave things to chance, why do you need to keep asking them to say thank you? Right? Mm. If they're naturally grateful people, yeah. uh, you know, and if they're if they already thankful, you don't need to tell them, hey, say thank you. Correct, correct. Right? The fact you have to do it means that there's some shaping involved. Right? There must be a rigor, there must be some kind of uh, sandbox. And, yep. And, yep. and to the point about uh, children being my second motivator was because Come back to the, the 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 first point I made about my friends leaving for overseas education when I never had that kind of opportunity. I I don't want to deprive. I'm not saying that I will force them to go yeah, overseas. Yeah. If if well, if my my kids are dumb, I'm I'm not going to spend that kind of money. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think it also depends on the. It also depends on uh, what they're studying. Correct, correct, correct. And and I'll be very practical about it. But I do not want to leave it to chance to say that if she was bright. That's right. And then she was denied the opportunity purely because of financial reasons. I don't want that reason to exist mm. in a way. Mm. So that that was the, the the probably another motivating factor why why I embarked on this path. And I think thirdly was because it goes back to my days of being curious. I, I was yeah. just curious. Yeah. Curious about things. 
curious that how this knowledge can be applied. And then yes. all of a sudden, oh, crap. Because of curiosity, I could marry, uh, marry it with math, logic, and economics and all these Engineering things. Engineering background. Engineering background that. is that, hey, investing kind of fit the bill. So, mm. yeah. Good what about you, things. MJ? So, so for, for me, I, I I wouldn't say that I thought money uh, was evil. You know, I come from a background that is, uh, I would say, above average in terms of privilege. And so, obviously, I could see the benefits of money, uh, at, you know, from a very young age. But one thing that really... Um. Yeah, I would say motivate me was that I actually received very little allowance when I was young. Good, and I now I was not allowed to use a single cent of my angpao money, which uh, if you listen to previous podcast is, uh, by the time I was twenty, it was twenty thousand. So every year I would get a thousand basically, <laughs> and my mom would say, "No, no, I'm not allowed to use it." So um. So I already knew. I guess there's an inbuilt sense of. Uh, like learning how to save money and delay gratification. Uh, I mean, just to give you a sense, when I was uh, so this was like maybe twenty years ago mm-hmm. when I when I just started uh primary school. Okay, and I was getting like uh fifty cents a month. <laughs> I think I think you had a term for it, MJ. I, I really love that term, poverty simulation. Yeah, it's po- It's like poverty simulation, and so um, basically. I mean, I was really smart about it. I would just, I would go to different clicks and borrow 20 cents each. <laughs> so obviously I didn't survive on 50 alone. Yeah. I think there's a pros and cons to that, right? I think the first one is obviously like you say, poverty simulation or that, but I think there needs to be a proper calibration. And what I mean by that is, yes, the number should not be very high, mm-hmm. the allowance you give to your children, but it should be high enough that they they have to make trade-offs. Mm. So one of the issues was that because I didn't get an allowance and because there was no way for me to earn an allowance, okay. like for example, uh, you know, if I wash my plates, I get uh, one ringgit or maybe I sweep the floor, I get five ringgit. I work at my mom's shop, I get 10 ringgit a mm. day or something like that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because that wasn't made available. So learning how to allocate money wasn't there. Because mm. how, how how do you allocate 50 cents? I don't know. I still don't have to do it. <laughs> I don't even, I don't think it's possible. Ten cents each. I don't know how much. I mean, at, at no, you know, you you actually need to because I get a coin and then so I think I think when I was uh, ten six twelve right then I got like five ringgit one. Right? Wow. So so Big upgrade. Yeah. So it's like fifth, like one ringgit every year or something like that. <laughs> mm. So uh, you know, like fifty cents, right? You have to 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 split it up. First of all, you need to buy something to split it up. Correct. Right. You can't just divide it. It's not digital currency. So you, so you, for so, example. so your mom didn't give you like ten cents in. 50 cents. It's just like one coin. 50 yeah, yeah, cent. yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, the 50 cent <laughs> coins, right? So I had to break it or I had to like, you know, uh, find someone to, to you know, give me the change and, you know, split it under 10 cents. Or so like, I think because of that, I think like money uh, allocation, I didn't save up for something that I like, let's mm. say. And so that I think has an, an, an effect to an extreme where um, basically you almost don't have any like wants to uh. a point 
which is, uh, of course, it's good for generating excess capital. Mm-hmm. Because what that means is that even if you have a you know very small salary, right, but you'll be saving a lot more than let's say someone triple or quadruple your salary. Mm-hmm. In fact, I know this because I have friends who, uh, you know, when when they started working, not now of course, but when they started working, it was double my salary, right, oh, for gosh. example. Mm. But then I will be able to pay a trip for Japan, and they'll be like, no, I, this year I, it's tight, right. <laughs> So then I was like, this is really weird. And and you know, I'm not a non-degree holder. Mm. But then this person, you know, uh uh studied, I'm not gonna mention the university, of course, but it's a university in the UK. If I'm you know, prime ministers have come from those universities. Oh, okay, okay. You get the hint. Yeah. Okay. So um yeah, and I'm wondering like these people are like way more formally educated, mm. earning twice my salary. Mm. But if I want to go to Japan tomorrow, I can go. because ah, this is pre-COVID, of course. But yeah. you know, I could do that. Yeah. But uh, my friends couldn't, or this particular friend, and then and, and other friends are worse situations as well. Mm. So that's the good part. And then the bad part is that I think that because I don't, sometimes ironically, you learn more by spending money, mm. right? Like, uh, like because maybe uh, you want a a a a, a car, mm-hmm. then you know a lot more about cars. You know how like uh, mechanics uh, try to cheat you, for example. Yep. Well, first of all, then you need to know how to drive. So you know about geography, yep. you know about car parts, you know how to check if you're buying a second-hand car, you know about to check whether the guy is cheating you on the mileage and things like that. So because I didn't buy uh, all this stuff and it was just not, uh, you know, actually spending the money. So then you actually get deprived of this knowledge. So that's my situation. But I think we need to come back on the motivation. So no, the motivation no, I, is- I, uh, It's a good point about that. that yeah, uh, yeah. And I'm going to relate that because a lot of people are fearful yeah, yeah. of making that mistakes. Like what you said. Correct, correct. Because you didn't go through the experience of buying a car whatsoever, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's such a good point because- or a house or any other, you know- And it's related you know. to the motivation part that we're talking about because- People may be motivated to want to get money yep. or grow their wealth, but they are disenfranchised or dismotivated because they are afraid of making that mistakes. Yeah. yeah. It's so hard to earn that money, but then here they are, they're, they're putting that money in jeopardy and yeah. areas. Yeah. So there's a pros and cons, right? Because it's a defense offense game. Correct, right? correct. Um, and uh defense was built into me at a very young age. Um and my journey really is about offense, which then leads into investing. Yes, right? yes. Because, uh, I mean, apart from actually earning a higher income and all that, uh, investing is part of the sword, right? Of That's your right. financial uh, arsenal. journey. Yeah, yeah, arsenal, right? So, so what got me interested in investing was because um, at that point in time, I wasn't uh, working. I'm not going to say my whole story again. You can listen to the first podcast. Mm. Um, but basically... I I needed to find something that I enjoyed and but uh, can make money, which mm. is of course very difficult, right? Mm. And a lot of the things that make you a lot of money in the world is uh, incredibly uh, boring uh, mm. for me at least, right? So like even I wouldn't say engineering because engineers don't earn uh, that much, or so mm. uh, depending on uh, petroleum engineering, yeah, of yeah. course, D- D- different industries, huh? Yeah, but by and large, you know, if you were in the factory, you know, engineers you know, don't yeah, earn a lot. Yeah, yeah. But by then, you go through four years of hell, and you don't earn a lot, lah. So it's a <laughs> bit, a bit sad, but not as bad as doctors. Okay, but no, but yeah, seriously, like even like what a high income jobs, right? A lawyer. Mm. I like, I like law, but I don't know if I like to be a lawyer. 
Try you know being I mean? a human rights lawyer and tell yeah, me about the pay, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, UN and all that. Gone. So lawyer, uh, boring, right? And doctor, you need to be a specialist usually. usually. Mm. Uh, and even if you want to be a specialist, like, it takes so long for you to study. Yeah. So what's next? Uh, investment banking. So for me, uh, no, uh, because it's, uh, again, it's very high hours. Mm. Uh, probably won't enjoy it because you know, there's a lot more politics, more, more sales type front facing jobs. Not mm. that I'm like bad at it. It's just not. Not your personality. Yeah, not my quality, right? So, to yeah. so banking then, uh, finance, ironically, uh, you don't earn, them. it's a bit like engineering, right? Yeah. On the outside, you think you earn a lot, but yeah. uh, like if you're an analyst, <laughs> not much. Actually, really. when you say that, it's like, Oh, you work for a bank. You must be rich. <laughs> you yeah. Know the before. <laughs> yeah, I sweep the floors for the bank. You know? <laughs> so yeah, so so I'm like, hey, but then the things that I like, right? That uh, you know, like uh, philosophy, politics, history, mm. things like that. We got pay money. Like you, okay, you must be a professor, la, Then they'll pay you a better tenured professor, so you get basically a pension for life. But um. That's where investing came into the, the role because it was that 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 very thing. And and you know, one of the big advantages now that you mentioned it in my late teens and early twenties mm-hmm. is that once I learned about investing and money, I realized I leapfrog, right? Mm. In terms of uh, the kind of conversations oh, I yes. have with people. Yes. So Suddenly true. I gain access, right, uh, to to words and phrases that I understand mm. that I can go out and talk to pretty much everyone. And you see the massive leapfrog. And in fact, I would say that thanks to my discovery of investing, um, there isn't a, uh, how do I put it? Um, there are people like way older than myself mm. who still are not, do not have the, the same financial maturity. Oh, I have to agree. But 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 mostly because they maybe they're in a different field, different or industry, different interests, or whatever. Yeah, la. different bubble, la. Yeah, yeah, different bubble. So I I uh, but of course finance is a very big bubble, mm. Um, so I think that was one big motivator. Like wow, suddenly I could grow up just like that, so mm. so quickly. Yes, yes. Uh, so then these were the things. You know, and then of course at the end of the day is, um, uh, I mentioned in in one in my podcast with Yamcha sessions actually, which mm. is that. You can your thoughts can have effect on reality. Oh yes. So if you think that electric vehicle is going to do well and Tesla is going to do well, you can buy it and you will know your answer. Mm. And I, I I like that element right where there is a that there's cause and effect. Mm. And so that's very interesting uh, aspect for me. So these are some of the motivations uh, for investing. the co- the causal relationship uh, in a way. Sorry to interrupt this podcast. I know it's a little bit annoying, but I want to tell you something that I think can be really helpful to you. I can tell you're really interested in the stock market and want to learn more about it so that you actually know what you're doing, especially when today things are getting more complex and complicated. That's why we came up with the Stock Investing Blueprint or SIB. It's our signature e-learning program that teaches you how to pick the right stocks most of the time, buy and sell it at the best possible time and manage your stock portfolio systematically. It currently has more than 10 hours of content and it's growing. You'll also be part of a group of like-minded investors that can help speed up your learning process. To hop on the program, click on the link in the description or go to learn.viral.co slash courses slash SIB. 
yeah, yeah. Yeah. So for for those of you listening right there, uh, right uh, out there right now, I I guess COVID nineteen and the times we live in are very very unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Why why I I say it's unprecedented? I mean, uh, I didn't live through. Uh, okay, I did kind of live through the 96, 97 crisis uh, because I was a technician in a factory. Mm-hmm. And during the heydays- uh, but Before that, uh, 97 crisis worse or this one is worse? Oh, 97, definitely. <laughs> <Okay>. uh, <laughs> hands, no, hands down, man. And I'll tell you why, because I was, I was in a factory. Uh, I was uh, earning probably, let me see, less than a thousand ringgit. Okay. Uh, back then it was it's okay for yeah it's okay f- like a you're not graduated yet right correct correct time, so it's yeah but what was interesting was that you could see uh, op- uh operating uh operators in a factory yeah could drive nice cars that were way 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 above their pay grade okay mm. and what happened when the crash happened all right when the ninety seven crash happened and ninety eight came a lot of them uh were so afraid to go back after the shift. And I was like, why? Hmm. And I, this is a story I haven't told you before. So so here I was, um, just eager to go back because some sometimes we have to do a night shift. Oh, yeah, so okay, it, okay. It's a seven, seven. Yeah, is, is it paid? Of course, okay. you, get, you get an extra allowance. Okay, on, okay, right? that's good. Yeah. yeah, but what was interesting was that these guys were not keen to go back. You know, it's a very long, uh, night shift is very tiring. You know, you just want to go back and sleep. And these guys were not keen to go back. And I, I found out later why. There were car repossessors at the guardhouse of the factory. Oh, so why? Because uh, the company cut all overtime pay. So they were living beyond their means and they were relying on their overtime pay to actually pay their cars. But now because of the crisis. So no overtime. No overtime. No car. No car. No, at that point still got car. <laughs> But car repossessor waiting to repossess the car, and that's why they were they were trying to stay as long as possible in the factory to meet not meet the car repossessors. So it was, it was it was I literally lived through it. Uh. Wow. <laughs> okay. Uh. Then. Uh. The reason why I brought this story up and saying that COVID nineteen is unprecedented is a lot of young people, not just young, a lot of even boomers shun the stock market because of the 97, 98 crisis because yeah, they, they lost yeah. so much money yeah. and because of that, they advised their children not to come into the stock market. It's all gambling and it's all that. So there's, there's this thing called a lost generation in a way, right? But now what we're seeing mm. is that you're seeing young people coming back and more retail participation <laughs> coming back into the yeah. market. But at the same time, what are the uh, uh, similarities? Again, you see young people who do not in a way, are uh, a little bit ill-equipped, mm. a little bit uh, enthusiastic. Uh, I think the word that Robert Schiller used to use was irrational exuberance. Yeah, yeah, irrational yeah. exuberance. So you're seeing that same thing, just in a different mode. Mm-hmm. And what this crisis has actually shown me and reinforced is that people don't prepare themselves well and linking that to the motivation is that everybody wants that money, <laughs> that wealth creation, but they are unlikely to they, they, they are unlikely to be prepared for two reasons. One is they don't want to put in the work, but also ironically, they don't know how to. And I the think knowledge, right? The knowledge. And I think with 
with the proliferation of social media today mm. is not knowledge. It's Boosa a lot. Bets. Boosa bets. Boosa guys. bets, yes. There's tons of data. I would say data. I said there are tons of what? Opinions. Mm. But then how does someone distill all this into knowledge form, applicable right. knowledge form? And I think that's probably one of the motiva- uh, non-motivating reasons for a lot of people not to start because they're just overwhelmed. Either overwhelmed or on the other side of the camp, greedy, shoot first thing later. You only live once kind of kind of thing. So I don't know. What what are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I mean, um, so there is a very interesting stat, right, that showed uh, in the US, there's always a, so, so there are many types of crashes, okay? Mm-hmm. Some are economic crashes, some some are valuation or, or, or like a, uh, like there's a huge bubble, right? Uh, kind of crash. So when it comes to like, especially technology related one, mm-hmm. um, it's very accurate. It's forty years. Oh, so um, in the US, you can call it the first uh, tech type of crash mm-hmm. was the automobile because mm. it was the tech back in the day. So mm. this was in the twenties. And then in the 60s, they had the Tronics crash. Mm. So any yeah, company with a Tronics or a Tron, right? Uh, so that's where your semiconductors are. Because in the 60s, uh, that's where Intel and yeah, all that started that was to the in thing, come man. to life. Yeah. Yes. So um, then uh, then after that, in the 60s, then the 2000, it was the internet mm. bubble. The two th- yeah, the 2000s, yes. Correct. Yeah. So why is it that there is this 40-year gap between each of these. The reason is because mm-hmm. uh, in, it requires the old generation to stop investing in the stock market. Ah, so one cycle. One cycle Correct. is done. One generation. One generation, sorry. Right, because yeah. in between 40 years, there are many cycles, but the, the generational cycle, I guess. Mm. So because it needs all the old guys to get out so that a new bubble can come up. Shift change. <laughs> Correct. Crew change, crew change. Uh, yeah. Correct. Crew change, yeah. So if you use that same logic does it apply? We're only 20 years since, uh, 21 years since. Um, 20, uh, yeah. Since the what? Since the 2008, right? 1998. Um, yeah. So if you ask me, I think today in terms of the the bubble, mm-hmm. it's a little bit more back with fundamentals. Oh, like even yeah, like, like Tesla, right? Mm. Um, yeah, probably it's overvalued, but it's not overvalued like Cisco. Mm. Back in the, in day. the days, yeah. like uh, Cisco, I can't remember the exact stats, right? They were trading at like 40 times sales, something like that. <laughs> but Tesla was trading like 20 something times sales. Mm. Cisco is a lot worse. And then there are a lot of companies IPOing with like no business models, basically. Mm. So I wouldn't say that, but that doesn't mean that uh, that is not overvalued. And I think the, the interesting thing is that a company can stay overvalued for a very long time. Mm. And so one of the things in, in going back to our topic about phases, right? Yeah. Is that you will come to realize when, when you get the knowledge, I know I'm skipping a few steps, but basically yeah. when you get the knowledge about under, dis- discovering undervalued, Undervalu- overvalued stocks. Valuations of companies. Correct. So that's the fundamental, the theoretical part about analysis, which, which is true, right? Mm. Uh, but the practical aspect of investing is also expectations mm. and uh, psychology. And trust me, a lot of companies can stay overvalued for a very, very long time before they drop Reali- down. Re- realities catch up. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's why, uh, so that will be a more advanced phase, I would guess. I get, yeah. When it comes to investing. But let's go back to the knowledge phase, right? I yes. think the whole issue, and, and my personal view is that, that ironically, and it's very sad, right? You actually need speculators and people who are uneducated to be in the stock market to make money. Mm. Because it is uneducated and speculative people that push prices way above or way below where they should be. Correct. And so- uh, Volatility. They do need to correct. create a volatility. If not, there's no opportunity for that's you. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So that's why you need to be the rational investor. Uh, and that that will be the, the next phase is to actually get a rational, a logical framework mm. to actually uh, understand what is crazy and what is not. Yes. Yes. Right? So you start off with the motivation. Then you start off with- some kind of uh, frame, not not to say frame, but some kind of uh, probably knowing your surroundings about investing, knowing what is the universe like, what are the options available. Then you come to a point where you want to know, okay, this seems like something up my cup of tea. Yeah, absolutely. And then you decide, okay, if I want to dive a little bit deeper and I want to further improve myself and, and on, mm -hmm. on getting better at this, I think... Maybe we relate with our own personal stories. Yeah. And 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 I can start with mine with my wilderness when I started with I I, I ironically started with unit trust first. Mm -hmm. Cause that was an option that was Ironically or unfortunately? <laughs> I think uh <laughs> I would say unfortunately. Um Okay. I had money, but I was busy. I was so excited in my in my career okay. that I was just said, okay, I'll just abscond my or abdicate my response. Actually, before that, I think your story uh, is very good at that, that point, right? Because and one thing I realized, and we get, because now we are online and we get like questions mm. uh, all the time, email, mm. or Instagram, whatever, Facebook. Yeah. And people actually ask like 16-year-old uh, guys, you know, asking us like, hey, um, I want to invest. What's my first step? Mm. Mm. And I would say actually that your first step should be to get an income. Mm. And perhaps in your case, the best option was to actually not invest precisely because you cannot put in effort to, to learn how to make right? Because you were telling me you started off with, well, first properties and then unit trust, right? Yes, yes, Both yes. of which didn't do too well for you. Yes, it didn't do too well for me. In fact, the, the best asset that you invested in was yourself. Yes. And that's why you had that, you know, you had a lot of income, mm. right? Working at your job. So that was actually the best Thing. And so that's one of the things I think you want to realize as an investor, yeah. is especially if you are a fresh grad or you just started working a few years, is yes. that quite frankly, it's okay to not invest. I know people talk about compound interest and then you have to start first and all yeah. that. But in fact, you're far better off to, okay, here's what I'll do. Uh, I will actually focus on generating more income, mm. right? Uh, and then take a portion of that and then focus it on maybe uh, one asset class. Yes. Right, max two, but just start with one. Correct. Risk stocks, whatever. And then you just start small, right? Maybe 10, 20% of your net worth. The rest can be in cash. There's no problem. Correct. So, but you start and then you learn to a point where that you have so much capital because you're so good at your job that you can choose to retire or you can choose to quit your job and then focus fully on investing. Ironically, that, that early part of that 10% that you mentioned just now, is similar to the part where you said you have to go through the experience of buying a car. Yes, yes. That That is, if I look back right now in hindsight, right, and that was actually tuition fees. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally tuition fees because yeah. if I didn't go through, you know, I know a lot of us read, oh, Warren Buffett started investing at 11 or that kind of thing. If you read in between the lines, he paid a lot of tuition fees. Yeah, yeah. He bought capital cities at like what, 40 and then he sold it at 45 or something and he made yeah. like, like 10, 20%. Yeah. Yeah, because of the war. Those are the things that a lot of investors think they can shortcut, which you can't. You need to be able to overcome allowing yourself to go through that phase. And going through that phase doesn't necessarily mean you, I, I know we've talked about being focused on one asset class. There's no harm diversifying in the beginning to explore. Then you realize that, ah, oh, this is not my cup of tea. And that was the mistake I made. I, mm. I, I went I went unit trust, I went properties, then I went into stocks thinking I could get quick money and I got burned really nicely. Then I realized, okay, time to go on a diet, which was the next phase. Mm. <laughs> time to go on a diet. Mm. And then time to know, uh, also realization that, my gosh, if you don't focus, yeah, you're everywhere. You're everywhere. Mm. You are like literally the jack of all trades but the master of none. And I wasn't really enjoying it because here I was when I was dabbling into Unitrust. I was talking and, and I was recruited as, as, a, as correction. I was not recruited. I was so eager to learn. I went looking for my Unitrust upline. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Okay, here's a pro. If you guys are a Unitrust agent yeah. or if you're friends with Unitrust and yeah. you think that you know your upline or the agent is an expert, yeah. you have to realize he is an expert. Yeah. Not in managing funds, not in the stocks within the funds or that. He's Spot an on. expert in selling the fund. Spot on. You have to understand that. Yeah. And my struggle was that when I was like asking him about, when I was reading all these uh, fund structures and all that kind of thing, I couldn't get reliable answers. And you, that, that, yeah. that's why they, they are experts at selling the fund. They are mm. experts at... Um, how to give confidence and 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 um, convince people to actually mm. buy. Mm. That, that's their skill, right? Yeah. And re looking back at all that, that, that tuition fees was well worth it because you don't just learn about the intricacies of each asset class. That's right. You also learn about your emotion with money. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, your emotion with money, it. your emotion with how different as the limitations of each asset class uh, the nuances, like for example, uh, I remember this very, very well. And it's, uh, it's someone that we want to bring to our podcast as well, Amanda mm, mm, uh, from mm. FAR. So I was, I, I bought a property in Johor and um, there were some problems with the agreements. Okay. Ah. Okay, the agreements. They, like the tenancy agreement? That, uh, no, it was the S&P. S&P, okay, S&P. Okay, okay. And uh, what happened, I was in the Philippines. I was so busy. I just moved to KL. I was so busy. And she literally gave me a good dressing down because it says, how can you let it slip? Because I was just push, pushing it off, you know, pushing it off. And the, the, the deadline was due. And because oh. of that, I was almost charged a penalty by the owner. Uh, it, sorry, it wasn't my property in Johor. It was my property, my own property in KL. I was uh, almost to the point where the owner wanted to penalize me because I did not get the paperwork in order for the transfer of the title and the SNP. So how much would that have cost you? I mean, oh, uh, a few thousand, a few thousand. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you you raised a great point, right? Yeah. Which is that, uh, uh, I mean, okay, maybe this specific the property is yeah. that it's actually not very useful, a uh, use good investment for 
for working it out? Oh yeah, I was I was in the Philippines. I couldn't go to my lawyer's office. Yeah. I, I couldn't assign someone. Uh, Amanda at that time was in Johor. My wife didn't knew nuts about all this and I don't blame her. And she had a, a kid and, and I, I was like, I was angry at two things. One is I, I let it slip. Two, I was, I was embarrassed, but angry that she yeah. gave me a dressing down. But it was a very good dressing down. It was like, <laughs> so it was a really a wake up call. After that, I said, screw this. No more properties. That was the point when I said, screw this, really no more properties. Yeah, and, and then uh, you had like what? Yeah, excluding your residential house, you had four? Yeah, no, three. including my residential, I had four. So so three investment properties, That's right. uh, basically. That's right. I was That's three. But you got some people who want to have 15 or 20 in five years or something. Good good luck, man. I mean, if you if you can appoint a good uh, agent or uh, uh, you have a good ecosystem to manage it, probably. But yeah, yeah. for me, oh, it was a very, very lonely journey, man. <laughs> man. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, um, before we wrap up the podcast, right, yeah. um, I, I think there are three big stages, you know, mm. that, uh, that we all face. Uh, one is you don't have the right motivation or you don't have any motivation for the, for that matter, yeah. and then of course, no, no right motivation. Yeah. Um. Then after that, you don't have the knowledge. Mm. Okay, so that's phase two. Yeah. And then when you get the knowledge, here, move on to phase three. You realize that some of the things that you learn in, um, the theory and the knowledge, not one hundred percent accurate. Like yeah. like your example of the house, you were probably interested because you have already calculated the rental yield. Oh yeah, have, capital gain. Yeah, 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 all that you have calculated. But then you maybe did not factor in this yeah. specific example that you just mentioned about, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think those are the three big phases. Or is there any other phases you'd like to add? I think the last one probably will be something both you and I are trying to go through and trying to elevate ourselves to a point where what are the skills that uh, people who are great at managing money, guys like hedge fund managers yeah. and all that, but do it with- Wait, 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 not all hedge fund. Uh. Not all, okay, <laughs> true, 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 true. Not Maven Capital. Not Maven. <laughs> but do it with scarcity in tools and resources. Yeah, yeah. Because let's let's face reality, guys. These guys got Bloomberg terminals, uh, yeah. access to data that we can't pay for as retail investors. But doing that at the same time, are we happy and practical about the results we want to achieve with the scarcity of resources that we have? I think that's where stage four or even five, because that is something of an ever, uh, what do you call it? You never hit your goal. It's just an ever improvement yeah. kind of thing that you get better and better and better and better and you just you just enjoy I it. I think that is a very good point because yeah. uh, one of the things that we learn from uh, this really good uh, author and speaker, Simon Sinek. Right? Oh, yeah. He introduced, I mean, introduced a lot of other things, right? right? From the why, what, how, yeah. to whatever. Yeah, uh, start but, with why. Yeah, start with why, right? Um, uh, I think one of the best ones is this idea of an infinite game. Now, this is very important. Oh, I'll tell you why. And beautiful. why this phase four is important. Yeah. If you, if you ever intend to reach this level, because once you have the knowledge, once you have the practical skills, right? Mm. What ends up happening is that you start to compare mm. and you start to... Uh, you you you, so think of it as uh, okay. Yeah, I'll explain it this way. So phase one brings you from uh, the ninety percent. Uh, sorry, zero. The, may, maybe the 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 most people have a motivation to make money. So maybe the fifty percent who have no motivation to make money to the fifty percent who has the motivation. Mm. Then phase two brings you from that fifty percent to the ten percent mm. who have the knowledge. Mm. 
So then the 10%, then you move on maybe to the 5% mm. or maybe the 1%, right? Who has the knowledge and has the, the practical experience. Yeah. So when you go from the 1% to the 0.1%, mm. that's where some of these more deeper psychological things that you need to take note of. Oh, and yeah. One of them is that uh, comparison starts to become, starts to creep in, right? Because mm. then you know, you already have the ego that you can actually do it that you have done it probably. Yep. And now you're going for the mountaintop, mm. right? You want to be the tiger. Yes. Um, and as in goes, the problem with the mountaintop is sometimes it's very suffocating. Mm. The air is very thin there. And because a lot, and, and that suffocation, a lot of it is self-sabotage as well because mm. you are always comparing and comparing. You're always comparing, okay, this year I make 15%. How about the other guy? Oh, yo, 17%, you know? <laughs> so doesn't so then, then you start to, be emotional about it, uh, then you're like, no, okay, then I need to make high returns. Okay, so if next year I get 15%, how can I get that more than that? Yeah. Or uh, maybe I have to go for more risky stocks. Maybe I have to break my risk management rules. Mm. Maybe I have to take margin and things like that. Yes. And so you start, uh, you you went from idiot to smart back to idiot, yeah. but in a different way. <laughs> Reverse way. Yeah, you're a different kind of idiot. You're yeah. a smart idiot, right? Which yeah. is actually a lot worse, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, because that's where the ego and everything creeps in. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, coming back to Simon Sinek, I think the best thing he taught, he has taught me so far is that bis- business and investing is an infinite game. Yeah. Right? Play the long game. Even if you lose to this other guy for the the, the, the three years, or if you have not beaten the index for three years, that doesn't mean that it is, it is wrong. Because yeah. do you know that the stocks, uh, so for a lot of uh, investors out there, especially value investors, right? They spend... I think uh, half their time in the top 25%, uh, no, in the bottom 25% percentile, mm. the bottom quartile of uh, investors yes. over the, the years. So you can imagine half the time you are you are like close to last, you know. You're in the trenches. Uh. But, you, but overall your results are good. Yeah. And so the only way you can withstand bad periods of underperformance, and again, this is obviously for phase four investors, let's call it, who have invested maybe you know, for five, five six, six years, years or, or probably even 10 years, yeah. Um, what you have to realize is that underperformance is part of the game. Yeah. Of course, you would like to be someone like Warren Buffett, right, who uh, have no down years uh, yeah. when he was uh, when he was managing a fund yeah. back in the day and always beating market. Yeah. But the reality is most, even good or great investors, they, they trail the market sometimes. Yeah. And so uh, the only way for you to say that that is okay, I'm okay with, not being uh not being in the market is that it is an infinite game, mm. right? I have time until I die. Yeah. And this is also important because what happens is that when you're trailing the market, you are more you, maybe you have gotten closer to becoming a better investor and you're close to getting good returns, but then you start to say things like, I hey, might so if I if I've been trailing the index for three years, let's say I might as well just buy the index. Yeah. <laughs> Right, you say things like that. It sure, it sure creeps into your yeah, mind, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Or even if you like slightly beat on me, but you're like, hey, I have to work yeah. so hard just to. But but then you see another percent. guy who you know may not be you, in your mind may not be as yeah. smart, may yeah, not yeah. be, a, and then suddenly make uh, killing, especially during COVID. You know, I mean, it's a psychological game, and a lot of people, while they logically understand, or there's so many yeah. times it's been talked about that money is not a, yeah. a, a intelligent game. 
it, it, it's very hard. And then they say things like it's luck. It's all about luck. Yeah. It's all about you know, whether you go there a good time or whatever. Like, yeah. yes, that's got, like, and I don't think that's, that's necessarily true. I do think that just like in business or in sports or whatever, it's, it's, I, I think that uh, it's what you tell yourself, yeah. the, the story you tell yourself that will enable you to essentially breeze through or at least survive uh, the bad times. Mm, the, yeah. Because once you can survive that, then you're only left with the upside to take care of everything, correct, right? Correct. So I think that is um, that is a phase four thing, which we are obviously trying to improve as well. That's right. So any 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 final words before we no, close No, I the think uh, don't, don't be afraid to go through the phases. And sometimes uh, going back into a previous phase can actually help you jump or leap further into yeah, the next yeah. phase. Yeah. So don't, yeah. don't, don't worry about taking uh, one step back to leap two forward, two steps forward. So yeah, I think those, those will be my final words. All right, that's it for this podcast. Uh, catch us uh, on our next one. Right, bye-bye. Bye-bye.